Welcome to Law Radio. I'm Kate Galloway. We've heard before from James Farrell, the Director of Community Legal Centres Queensland, about the important work that community legal centres do in terms of access to justice. But there's a pervasive problem for community legal centres and that's the vexed question of funding. In the middle of next year, 2017, community legal centres throughout Queensland at least are facing what's known as a funding cliff when they expect to lose a significant proportion of their recurrent funding. In this episode, we chat to James Farrell about the importance of funding and what the implications are for community legal centres and for access to justice if we lose that funding. Now, James, how many legal centres, community legal centres are there throughout Queensland and how do they keep their doors open? Okay, we have 33 community legal centres across Queensland. About half of them are located in the greater Brisbane area and about half of them are across regional Queensland. And another way that we can kind of slice that group is about half of them are what we call generalist centres. So anyone who lives, works, studies, has a connection to a particular geographic area can get into the the community legal service that provides services to that community. Then we have specialist centres, so they work in particular areas of law or with particular client groups, women's legal service, refugee and immigration legal service, Tenants Queensland are some examples there. How do they keep their doors open? Uh, On the sniff of an oily rag. So here in Queensland, we have about 300 staff across those 33 community legal centres. We have a mix of funding from state and Commonwealth, so about 60% of our funding comes from the state government, the Queensland government, and about 40% comes from the Commonwealth government. Last year, we provided legal help to about 60,000 clients, give or take, but we also had to turn away about another 60,000 clients. So about half of the people who are coming to see us can't get through on the phone or can't have an appointment with a lawyer to get the legal help they need. They qualify for our services, but we just don't have the resources to help them. So why is it important to to have these resources available for people? Legal systems can be really difficult for people to navigate um, without help sometimes. Our legal system is designed by lawyers for lawyers in a lot of cases and probably in a lot of those cases there are complexities that the, the person on the street might not understand and that's particularly compounded if someone has a form of disadvantage or disability. So about one in six of our clients tell us that they have a disability. About half of the people that we help in family law matters tell us that they've experienced violence in the relationship that they're in or leaving. And that has implications for distribution of power and fear and that sort of stuff as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, and creates all kinds of barriers, as does disability, as does language and literacy issues mm. and, and all of those other things. So without a safety net those people just wouldn't be able to navigate the legal system and wouldn't be able to address the legal problems that are having a pretty profound impact on their lives. Mm. But um, we're in a time of budget cuts and we're being told that we've got a revenue problem with with government. I mean, is is this a cost-effective way to to spend government money? I believe there's a recent Productivity Commission report that might have had something to say about that. Absolutely. So the Productivity Commission was tasked to look at access to justice across Australia, so looking at civil and family law issues. Their kind of headline recommendation was they couldn't quantify exactly how much more um, resources needed to be provided in the system. They thought as a starting point, immediately $200 million should be injected annually. 
We're not talking about kind of the bleeding heart lefty activist movement here who are making this. This is the government's, you know, a statutory independent, hard-nosed economic Economic rationalist. You know, very kind of pro-market and pro-competition and, you know, bringing that dry economic analysis to it, saying as a starting point, we need $200 million injected into the system. The government's response to that was disappointing. And in fact, for community legal centres, we'll have our funding cut by 30%, so about 11 or $12 million uh, from July next year. Is that what I've heard referred to as the funding cliff? We have been calling it the funding cliff. We're really frightened about the impact that this is going to have for our client communities. So as I said before, we're already turning away about half of the people that try and get legal help from community legal centres here in Queensland. Um, we think a 30% funding cut is, I mean, it's just uh, going to make it impossible for us to see the people who are having, um, who are coming to us for help, who are you know, in relationship breakdowns or violent relationships, who have been treated poorly by an employer, um, who are being unfairly evicted, who um, have come into contact with the justice system. Uh, you know, these are the kinds of people who often rely on independent advocates like us to help them through those processes. So part of the professional responsibilities of the legal profession is to give back to the community and arguably to engage in pro bono work. How does that fit with the community legal centre movement? Historically, lawyers have donated huge amounts of time to community legal centres. Last year, Queensland's community legal centres received volunteer assistance from about 1,700 lawyers a week. Sorry, 1,700 people a week, which includes lawyers law students, social workers and other professionals. They donate north of 90,000 hours per week to our work. That's a huge commitment. Um, And is that different from law firms themselves doing pro bono work? Absolutely. So um, we differentiate between volunteer work, which is people giving up their own time um, without the kind of institutional support of the firm that they work for. Um, That's what we call volunteering in our world. Pro bono work, again, about 50, uh, between 45 and 50% of our members have a formal relationship with a law firm here in Queensland that assists them to provide direct legal services to people. And again, I think the number is somewhere between 50 and 60,000 hours a year of formal pro bono work is contributed uh, to what we're doing. The Productivity Commission, though, interestingly, turned its mind to pro bono and volunteerism. They found currently that somewhere between 1% and 3% of legal assistance is being delivered by pro bono and that while there might be some capacity to increase that, and we absolutely agree with that, it's not going to solve the access to justice crisis that we've got in Australia today. So how do you describe access to justice? What what does that entail, do you think? Uh, It can mean different things for different people and it's a fairly fluid idea. So when we talk about access to justice in community legal centres, that can be access to help, whether that's access to one-off advice that helps people know what the next steps are and find that work themselves. I mean, it can be bamboozling if you receive a a summons or something in the mail, can't it? Yeah, that's right. Or even if you've had a motor vehicle accident, which is something that we see in some community legal centres quite often, and you get some kind of weird letter from an insurer that you don't really understand, be able to go in and sit down for for 20 minutes with a lawyer who explains that letter to you, tells you what the next steps are, and um, maybe even helps you to draft a response or something like that. So that can be a form of access to justice. Getting into the courts can sometimes be a form of access to justice with some representation or some guidance through that process. Access to justice doesn't always mean support to win 
the thing that you're trying to win. Sometimes it's mm. about being supported through a process. And yes. I think a great example of that is people who are subject to involuntary treatment orders for mental health issues. Yes. So it may be the case that we're not able to get them off yes. the, the order that the clinical treating team, and it's entirely appropriate that they're not you know, let off that order, but feeling supported through that process, empowered through that process, and feeling that their voice is heard means they're more likely to accept the outcome, more likely to be happy with the way that they're treated by the justice system. Yes, yes, that's a really important point. So what's on the other side of the funding cliff, do you think? As I said, we're, we're actually quite frightened about what okay. the other side looks like. Um, so, so we're still lobbying, we're still asking government to come up with that, to, well, to not make the third, so, one third cut or to okay. give an extra $200 million or...? Absolutely. So um, in terms of what we're asking government to do at the moment, there are probably three elements to that on a national level. One is to reverse the funding cut. Here in Queensland, uh, our cut of 30% is only $1.8 million, which is about 400 metres of federal road. Yep. When you think about it in the context that the government spends $740 million a year on its own lawyers, say that it can't find $1.8 million um, to help the most vulnerable Queenslanders with legal problems rings a little hollow. So our first request to the federal government is to reverse that funding cut. We'd then like them to seriously consider the Productivity Commission's suggestion that an extra $200 million um, be put into the system. I should say that that's for community legal centres, legal aid commissions and two different types of services for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, right. being Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander legal services and Aboriginal family violence prevention legal services. Really important, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, historically um, underfunded, working with particularly vulnerable people uh, who need legal help through those processes. Mm. And the third thing that we're asking government to do is, as I said before, Productivity Commission's kind of starting pitch was $200 million, but it recognised for a variety of reasons that it was really difficult to quantify how many people out there in the community have legal problems, need help, and how that should be funded. And so our third ask is that governments work with service providers and researchers and do some work around kind of quantifying and measuring the need in the community and how we can make sure that people get the access to the services that they need. So if listeners feel strongly about this, what can they do to help? Get in touch with your MP. Um, ask them to get in touch with the um, Federal Attorney General, who's the key decision maker through this process. Encourage your MP to advocate for community legal centres for funding for um, access to justice. Make sure that we can keep our doors open after 1 July next year. Thanks very much, James Farrell. You've been listening to Law Radio with Melissa Caston and me, Kate Galloway. You can follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And you'll find some resources over on our blog at lawradio.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time.